Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Who Dat History podcast. I am Nick Fontenot. Kevin Foote and I took a couple of weeks off. We had some uh, life events come up, some vacations and things like that. But we are back and ready to roll with new episodes of Who Dat History. This week, we are going to get rolling with one of the more requested episodes since we started the podcast. This will be episode 10, and it'll be about Ricky Williams. We're going to do a Ricky Williams-Deuce McAllister combo episode it's actually going to run two weeks so this week we're going to do the first half which is going to be most of ricky's time with the saints and then next week we'll get into deuce McAllister. ricky williams of course one of the more polarizing figures in the history of the saints so we're back we're ready to roll who that history is going to be hitting all of your podcast formats every single thursday just like we had planned so stick with us and let's get rolling with the ricky williams episode right now All right, Kev. It has been a while since we've uh, we've done this yes. thing for whatever reason. We weren't able to get together, and things were getting in the way. Life happens sometimes. But we're back with who that history. We're gonna do um, one that I've been wanting to do for a while. One of my favorite issues uh, in Saints history. Uh, we're gonna do Ricky Williams, and we're gonna do Deuce McAllister. It's gonna be a combo episode. Right whenever I started tweeting about doing this podcast. One of the first comments I got was, y'all got to do one on Ricky Williams. I was like, well, yeah, I know. We're, <laughs> we'll get there. We got some things that we want to do first. But uh, Ricky Williams is one of the more uh, polarizing topics in, in Saints history. So uh, like we do, we kind of set it up with the history of what's going on at the time. And uh, I wanted to get a, get an idea of where the Saints running back situation was around this time. So we're going to go back a few years before the Saints drafted Ricky. We're actually going to go back to 1993. 93 was Dalton Hilliard's final season with the Saints. He rushed for 165 yards in 93. He didn't start any of the Saints' 16 games. I have a lot of fond memories of Dalton Hilliard. I'm sure uh, you do too. I'm sure we'll do a Dalton Hilliard episode in the future. Where was Dalton about this time at the end of his career, and what do you kind of remember about him? Well, I mean, I, I love Dalton because my favorite play for an off offensive play is the screen, and Dalton was great at the screen. I mean, he was great at it. He don't had the one great year in 89, but statistically, if you look at his other year, he never had another year that was anywhere near that. And, you know, he was, you know, from Patterson, played at LSU. Everybody loved him and still do, and we should. But, you know, he, he didn't – you wouldn't say he had a great career. He had the one great year, and, you know, he was towards the end there. So, yeah, it became – you know, we talk a lot about searching for a quarterback from 93 to 2000. But the running back search was just as big and maybe less plentiful. I mean, depends on what you think of the probably the next person we're going to talk about. Yeah, so in, in, in the 93 draft, the Saints drafted Willie Rofe in the first round. We know he became a Hall of Famer. But in the fourth round, the Saints decided to address their running back uh, position. They had two fourth-round picks in 1993. The first one was Lorenzo Neal, fullback from Fresno State. Neal played four years with the Saints from 93 to 96, probably better known for his time with the Chargers, blocking for LaDainian Tomlinson. What do you remember about Lorenzo Neal? Well, I mean, I remember the first thing we learned about him is that he was a wrestler and he just looked like one. And he's going to go down as one of the best fullbacks ever. Absolutely. He did okay with the Saints, but not, you know, like some other guys we've talked about, just not quite, didn't play long enough, and the team wasn't good enough offensively in his position when he kind of came along to really take advantage of his skills. It's crazy how much history, we may get into it later, that the Saints have with the Chargers. 
with players switching. We talked about Chuck Muncie and West Chandler. Chandler. Obviously, Drew Brees was with the Chargers. Lorenzo Neal goes to the Chargers. There's a lot of stuff like that that we'll get into. Alex Molden ended up playing for the Chargers. Yeah, a lot of players like that ended up with the Chargers. Later in the fourth round, the Saints drafted Derek Brown, running back from Nebraska. Brown was five foot nine, two hundred pounds. His numbers weren't all that impressive in college. He did have two one thousand yard seasons in college. Do you remember anything about Derek Brown? Derek Brown and and Tyrone Hughes both came from Nebraska. Hughes is an interesting situation because he kind of faded away, but was an outstanding punt returner for mm-hmm. a while. You know, Brown was just a little guy. He could catch a little bit and run a little bit, but he was always going to be like a complimentary type back. He was. He didn't have the um, the physical size to do be any kind of a workhorse back. Saints finished 93-8-8, eight eight, second in the NFC West. Brown led the team in rushing, 705 yards. He scored two touchdowns. He started 13 of the 16 games. His best game was against the Lions in Week 13. He ran for 125 yards. Saints won that game 14-3. Brown doesn't seem like the long-term option after the 1993 season. In 94, he stays on the roster. He starts the first nine games in 94. The Saints drafted another running back in 1994, this time in the second round. They drafted Mario Bates, running back from Arizona State. Bates was bigger. He was 6'2 and 215. He played for the Saints from 94 to 97. So kind of take us back to the Saints drafting Bates in 94. You know, when you think of the Saints, it really is amazing. Like, they got Muncie, and he only lasted, he was very talented, but got into all the drugs. And he, you know, he only, he was drafted in 76. He was done by 80. So it didn't have a long run. They drafted George Rogers with the first pick in 81. And three or four years later, he was out of there. And, and you know, he had a couple great years. One tremendous year. Arguably the best year of any running back in St. History. But they were never, now running back's not a position a lot of guys play for 10 years. That's one thing. But, and, you know, they got, then they drafted Reuben Mays who was great for a year or two and then tore an Achilles and never really. And we talked about Hilliard had a nice little run, but not a long run. And then, you know, we're going to get into Ricky and, and Deuce was around for a little while. But it's amazing. So many of their – and so because of that, you kind of hoped big. And I always like big backs. Sure. You know, and, you know, you knew, he, was the, he was on the bigger side. Not as pretty as when we talk about Deuce, right. but a bigger guy. He just was one of those guys that was very polarizing. Mm-hmm. Like he had a look on his face that a lot of people thought he wasn't overly passionate about mm-hmm. playing. I mean, he had some good games, no arguing, and he had some ability, but he just, you always felt like he was never going to be a true bell cow guy, and a lot of fans did not like him. Very early in his career, he gets struck with a, a huge injury. Week two in 94 against Washington, he breaks his jaw. He's sidelined for six weeks in 94, and Derek Brown comes back to handle the duties until Bates returns. Bates, come ba- Bates comes back in week eight, takes over the starting duties in week 11 of the 94 season against the Falcons. In that Falcons game in 94, the Falcons led 23-10 to 10 at half, and Bates takes over in the second half and has his best game of the season and maybe of his career. He rushes for 141 yards and two touchdowns. The Saints win 33-32 on a last-second 39-yard field goal from your favorite Martin Anderson. So, after this game right here, you, we're feeling pretty good oh, about Mario no. Bates. Again, I always liked him just because I wanted him to be good so badly. Uh, we, you know, They needed a quarterback. They needed a running back. And he had the body size that I love in a running back. 
So I wanted him to be good. Yes, I was very pumped after that game. Yes. The Saints seemingly were not all that pumped about Bates. He he led the Saints in rushing in 94 and 95 and 97. In 95, one year after drafting Bates, the Saints took Ray Zellers fullback out of Notre Dame. Lorenzo Neal was still on the roster at this point. Bates looked like he could be viable after 94. You think the team just wasn't sold on the backfield as to why they drafted Zellers? You know, Zellers was confusing. He, he never had the ability to be like a number one option as a ro- true running back. He was a fullback is what Ray Zellers right. was. But he did have more rushing ability than Neal had. Neal was an old school fullback. Tough, physical pancake block you Mm -hmm. and Zellers was more of a guy who could catch the ball he was more of a fullback that would be more today catch the ball a little bit run a little bit block a little bit but he was never going to be real good at any of those things so I, I never really did get the Ray Zellers acquisition we're at 1996 now. It was a frustrating year all around. The Saints started 0-5. Zellers gets suspended before the Week 6 game against the Jaguars for, quote, a profanity-laced tirade. Nobody knows exactly what was said there, but the Saints win that game, their first win of the season. Zellers comes back in Week 7 against the Bears, and he was pretty upset, I guess. He, uh, he went off in that game. 20 carries, 174 yards, and a touchdown. 156 of those yards came in the second half. Doug Bryan kicks a 54-yarder to win the game. Saints win 27 24. So Zellers misses seven total games in 96, and he still leads the team in rushing in 96. So it was just a, a tough year all around. One more season before we get to Ricky, 1998. This is Ditka's second year with the team. Saints drafted another running back, Troy Davis, in 1997. Ooh. Davis is famous for having back-to-back 2,000-yard seasons at Iowa State. In 95 and 96, he didn't do anything with the Saints. And in 98, the Saints acquire Lamar Smith from the Seahawks. Smith had, Smith had three troubled field seasons in Seattle with the Seahawks. The Seahawks released him. Comes over to the Saints in 98 and starts pretty promising. What do you remember about Lamar Smith? I, I liked him. He's another one of those guys, had good feet, could catch the ball out of the backfield, was more of a true running back than like a Derrick Brown was, uh, not as fullbacky as Ray Zellers was. I, I, I liked him. And again, when you say you like someone, we were just so desperate mm-hmm. for a running back option. But you, but just from the notes that you read, you could see that there were glimpses right. in all these guys to where they had some potential. But I think one of the big problems is, you know, and we talked about this going back to some of the teams in the 70s. If you have bad coaching and a bad scheme, it takes a really great player to make a bad scheme look good. I just don't think they were coached well enough. I don't think the schemes were good enough, you know, to get as much out of all these guys in that era uh, especially in the Dick era. I mean, Troy Davis, we talked about him when we did the Dev. Yeah. It's one of the worst draft picks ever. Yes. I mean, he was sh- he was short. He was small. He was stocky. He was strong for, mm-hmm. but and slow. And, and he, like all that effort stuff, you, it only goes so far. Right. And, and he, that had no chance. It's one of the worst draft picks ever. Lamar Smith leads the Saints in rushing in 1998, but he only had 451 yards in this season. The running back situation from 93 to 98 is a, is a huge mess. After Hilliard, you got Derek Brown, Lorenzo Neal, Mario Bates, Ray Zellers, Troy Davis, Lamar Smith. Some of those guys look pretty good, especially Bates. He looked good, but it, they just didn't seem to have anything going on. So what was really going on, you think, with the running back situation there? Was it just was it a matter of not being able to find that guy? I, I, I really think, offensively speaking, they were 
very poorly coached. They did not have good schemes. The players that they had didn't match up with what they were trying to do. I, I just think it was an all-around colossal mess. The Saints finished the entire decade of the 90s without having a single 1,000-yard rusher. Before we get to 99 and the Ricky draft, let's briefly talk about the 1998 draft. We know what they did in 99, but the Saints had the seventh pick in the 98 draft. They ended up taking Kyle Turley. Uh, Turley worked out to be pretty good, but rumor has it, Ditka was trying to trade all of his picks to Arizona in 1998 to get the number two pick. Ditka's plan was to move to number two, and which the Cardinals had. They ended up trading down with San Diego, and San Diego took Ryan Leaf, but it was rumored that Ditka was interested in Ryan Leaf. He knew Peyton Manning was going to go number one. Had you heard about this rumor to get Ryan Leaf? Not really. I, if I did at the time, I don't really remember it. Ryan Leaf, oh, man. You know, when you talk about that now and how immature Ryan Leaf was, you wonder how much scouting they did. And right. we're going to talk about this when we get to Ricky. Mm-hmm. Right? You know, we talk a lot um, these days about the mental side of the game. Like, were all these... Um, PR SIDs is what they were called. I mean, now they have fancy name for them. They were sports information director. Did they really do that great a job of covering up the 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 mental and the personality flaws of these of these high profile players? I mean, these are guys that were on big teams, major teams, and major conferences on national TV. Right. Either Heisman Trophy winners or runner up to Heisman Trophy winners. How did, in all the interviews they did, you know, they ask all these stupid questions at these combines, how did they have no idea how immature Ryan Leaf was and how weird Ricky Williams was? Right. How did no one know this stuff? That just still amazes me to this day. Well, we're at Ricky Williams. Let's get some uh, little backstory in here before we get into what the Saints did. His name, full name, Eric Lynn Williams Jr., known to us as Ricky Williams, born May 21st, 1977. In San Diego, Ricky has five sisters, including a twin sister, played his high school football at Patrick Henry High School, San Diego. They reached the championship game for the first time in Ricky's senior season. Ricky was a four-sport athlete in high school. He played football, baseball, track, and wrestling. In 1995, he was actually drafted in the eighth round of the Major League Baseball draft. He was drafted by the Phillies. He played four seasons as an outfielder in the Phillies organization, never got beyond A ball. He finished with a 211 batting average and four home runs. We're, get, we're going to get to his baseball Isn't stuff that amazing? A, a lot of people don't rem- I remember right. that, but it is, it is amazing. I hadn't thought about that in a long time until you just said that. And I wonder how the whole drug issue played into the minor league life because, you know, the minor league, we've heard all the bad stories about the minor right. league life. I, that's just kind of strange. The entire time he was at the University of Texas, he played minor league baseball. Ricky holds or shares 20 NCAA records. He became the NCAA Division I career rushing leader in 1998, breaking Tony Dorsett's 22-year-old record with 6,279 yards. It lasted only one year. Ron Dane ended up breaking it a year earlier. What do you remember about Ricky in college at Texas? I know you said you were kind of following Texas. Yeah, I mean, I remember, again, at the time, as you just detailed, the Saints were in serious search for a running back. So I remember thinking, how good is this guy? Is he really as good as he looks? Of course, I never dreamed the Saints would do what they would what they did and I was never one that wanted to tank to get him but no I I really thought that he was overrated Mm -hmm. if if I remember what I thought about him in college I just never thought he'd make a great NFL running back at the time but uh, he was obviously a great college football player 
He had a fantastic senior season. He broke he broke the all-time record against Texas A&M. He finished that game with 259 yards on 44 carries. He won the Heisman Trophy. He became the second Texas Longhorn to win the Heisman Trophy, along with Earl Campbell, who also is a former Saint. Dicka was very smitten with Ricky after his 2,124-yard, 27-touchdown senior season at Texas, and he proclaimed at the league meetings in the winter before the draft that he would trade his entire draft for Ricky. He compared him to Walter Payton, who Dicka, of course, coached while he was in Chicago with the Bears. So he kind of makes this statement, and general managers in the league kind of perked their ears up when they heard that. Maybe not thinking he was serious, but he was serious the whole time. But how could he compare him to Ricky, to Walter Payton? It's a lot of pressure to... Personality-wise, they weren't even close to each other. I mean, Walter Payton was a leader. Like, he was passionate, a leader. He was focused. Uh, Ricky was, turned out, I was wrong about Ricky, turned out to be a really good NFL running back. Yeah. Not in New Orleans, but later. He didn't have the same leadership skills and personality and focus and drive and all that stuff that that Walter Payton had. He just did it. With limited leverage, Saints general manager Bill Kaharick began discussing trades with the teams holding the first five selections. The Saints offered nine draft picks to the Bengals for the third overall choice, but the Bengals declined the deal. They selected Akili Smith. The Colts, awful pick. Awful pick, yes. The Colts, who drafted Peyton Manning the year before, they drafted Edron James from Miami, Hall of Fame running back. Finally, the Saints find a trading partner in Washington, who drafted fifth. The Saints received Washington's fifth overall pick, traded their first round, third round, fourth round, fifth round, sixth round, and seventh round picks in 1999, traded their first round and third round picks from the 2000 NFL draft. Your reaction when this happens? I was was there in the little draft room, and it was just jaw-dropping. I mean, we had heard some of the rumors, like you said, but you didn't really take it seriously. And you're like, how could you take it seriously? He really did this. Like, I remember just thinking, what am I watching? Like, really, this is happening. Now, there's also a small part of you because of what we said that we were so just yearning for a running back, a bell cow running back. Right. And I just hope that my my personal analysis of how great of a college player and how he would make that transition was was not right, and right. he would be. So I can't say there was a zero excitement sure. because we've been wanting this running back. But on the flip side, your your brain told you you cannot give up this many for one player. I mean, we weren't that far removed from the Herschel Walker trade. Yeah. That was, what, uh, 11 years earlier, 10 years earlier. Mm-hmm. You know, we, that was still a major topic of discussion in the league. And I remember thinking, this is not going to work just because it's just not a prudent move. And yet there was a small part of you that just hoped somehow this guy was going to be all the answers to the offensive problems. This was my senior year of high school. And for the first (laughs) time ever, I was pumped uh, about a Saints draft pick. We gave up a lot for him, but the team wasn't very good the previous two seasons. Ricky was kind of like hope. This was also the era of Terrell Davis, where you could kind of ride a running back to a championship. We needed a running back like we've been talking about this whole thing. The, the Saints fans were chanting, run, Ricky, run. You felt a sense of hope when, when Ricky got there, did you? Or, or was... Yeah, I mean, I, someone actually, I don't remember if I got it for Christmas or what, but but I had a run, Ricky. I have no idea how long I had it for. I did actually own a run, Ricky, run t-shirt. I have to admit that. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm ashamed kind of to admit it, but I actually had one. 
Yeah. I wish you still had it. That's a relic. <laughs> <laughs> well, things got weird very quickly. After the trade, Ditka and Ricky Williams appeared on a very infamous magazine cover, ESPN The Magazine, August 9th, 1999. Ricky dressed as a bride and groom with Ditka. Photographer Greg Heisler said he chose the pose to illustrate how enamored Ditka was with Williams. You, of course, remember this crazy magazine cover. What were your thoughts on yes, that? Yes, I mean, it's just crazy. I mean, the day of the draft, he, Ditka had these this, the dreads on, and it was just... I just remember the first time we covered train, we tra- covered train that training camp, and the first time interviewing him, and Ricky had his helmet on, and I remember leaving that interview, and I'm like, something about him, you could just tell he was not. It's not that he didn't care; it's just that he just wasn't going to be able to be that bell cow guy. He just didn't have a bell cow personality. Yeah. Foot, how many masterpiece songs have you heard in your life? <laughs> if I did, I didn't know what it was. Let's talk about Master P for a minute. Many people my age know Master P very well. No Limit Records, hip-hop mogul from New Orleans. He plays a key role in this story. As Ricky decides to sign with Master P as his agent. Now, Master P has some clients in the NBA at the time, he, he mainly Paul Pierce. But Ricky was his first client in football. Ricky's agent was actually Leland Hardy, who worked for No Limit at the time. Hardy laid out three contracts for Ricky to choose from, and Ricky chose the incentive-based contract. He signed a contract with an $8 million signing bonus and salary incentives that would be worth between $11 million and $68 million. In order to get to $68 million, though, he would have to break Eric Dickerson's all-time rushing record and then break his own new record three more times. So the contract is just kind of mind-boggling. What do you recall about it, all that? Well, it showed that showed no business sense whatsoever, but it showed that he actually, deep down inside of him, had the kind of, well, I want to earn my money thing, which in terms of just pure someone's character, it's probably pretty noble. Yes. You know, but from where you are in the business world, it's just foolish. Yeah. You know, so that's what you thought. There's a certain nobleness about it, but it was also very short-sighted. And I I don't know if he really had any idea how much harder that is. I never got the impression from Ricky that that he was this big NFL football fan. He probably had no real idea about football. And I wonder if his agents, they should have had some idea how unrealistic that was. A a lot of people blame Master P, blame Leland Hardy, blame his agents. But Ricky actually puts all the blame on himself because the agents tried to sway him to those more – uh, contracts were a more guaranteed money, more money up front where it wasn't so incentive based. But Ricky just he wanted to he wanted to earn his money. And the, some of the incentives, if you get into the contract, are just absolutely crazy, almost near impossible, especially breaking Eric Dickerson's all time record. And then he'd have to break the new record three more times. Just absolutely impossible. The Saints struggled. The Saints weren't good on offense. I mean, it's not. You know, again, when he first started, you know, Abramowitz was still around, I believe. Yeah. I mean, and he just was um, awful, awful. Anyway, awful, awful. And that goes to the bad coaching right. thing that I was talking about earlier. The Saints struggled in 1999. They finished 3-13, and their second worst season in franchise history up to that point. Ricky had 10 carries and 40 yards in his first game against the Panthers. Not exactly a great start. He had a disappointing rookie season overall. He was injured a lot. He finished 99 with 884 rushing yards and two touchdowns. He played in 12 games. Let's talk about Strictly on the field with Ricky, not any of the off-the-field antics that he was pulling. What did you think about Ricky's rookie season? He averaged three and a half yards a carry, and by the end of that season, I just thought that he didn't 
run hard enough. And what I mean, it's not that he didn't hit people. It's that he would go down too easy. In fact, my nickname that I gave him was Ricky Falldown. I mean, that's what I called him. He would just not break enough tackles. I said the same thing about Superman, Mark Ingram, his first couple of years. And he just would not break tackles. It's like the first guy is not supposed to get you every time. Right. If you break that tackle, you're supposed to be able to get other yards. That's what plus running backs do in the NFL. And by the time he got to Miami, he was doing that. Yes. But as a as a rookie with the Saints, I just called him Ricky Falldown. Off the field, it was a little bit zany. Ricky conducted his post-game interviews with his helmet on. He had a dark visor shielding his eyes. John John DeShazer from the Times-Picayune called Ricky a confused child, which, of course, upset Ricky. He had a contentious relationship with the New Orleans media. How was it to cover the Saints and especially Ricky during this time? Well, he didn't just sit in his locker. He sat deep in his locker, you know, and he'd have his helmet on, and you couldn't even understand. It didn't. Because a lot of in that era, we were still kind of crowding around lockers, and they did do some of the every once in a while they'd bring them out, but like you couldn't even understand what he was saying. Really, it almost didn't do any good to go unless you were in the very front of the pile. You couldn't hardly hear anything he was saying because one, he didn't want to talk, and he had the helmet on, and he was so deep in his locker. So it was, it was rough, and it was just you could tell he was miserable. Yeah. I mean, you could just tell he how miserable he was. Not angry, just right. miserable. Right. At the end of his rookie season, he expressed resentment towards Ditka, towards the city of New Orleans. The Saints eventually fired Ditka and Kaharik after the 99 season. And so without the traded draft picks, the Saints hired Jim Hazlitt and Randy Mueller, the new general manager. These weren't exactly splash hires. Ricky's first meeting with Hazlitt didn't go well. They never hit it off. And Hazlitt seemingly had a lot of prejudgments about Ricky. What do you think about Hazlitt's role in Ricky's kind of, I don't want to say demise, but just the way his career kind of went in New Orleans. You know, Hazlitt was not a PR machine, you know, he wasn't, yeah. and Dicka wasn't either. You know, Hazlitt was not very popular around. A lot of people didn't like Hazlitt, so, you know, I don't think he helped the situation at all, but I don't think a lot of head, there's not that many football coaches who are going to, as we say, tat-tat or best running back. I mean, that's, you know, or their best player, yeah. especially if it's a young guy who's smoking dope and who wears a helmet during interviews. I mean, how many head football coaches are going to relate to that? Yeah. I don't think Hazard did a good job, but I don't think he'd have been alone in that situation. Right. Hazard kind of inherits Ricky and, and all of his antics, and, and it, it didn't go over well with Hazard. However, on the field, Ricky rebounded. His first season under Hazlitt, he rushed for exactly 1,000 yards in the year 2000 in only 10 games because in week 11 against the Panthers, Ricky breaks his ankle, ending his 2000 campaign. But before the injury in 2000, he's looking pretty good. He, he, he did fine. He averaged four yards a carry at eight touchdowns. He had had some measure of success. You could start to see why Ditka did what he did, at least. Yeah, it was, and uh, of course, down the at, by the end of that season, the Saints had some success. Right, and that's what was so ironic about it because, you know, by the end of that year, they didn't have their leading rusher, nor did they have their leading receiver because Joe Horn got hurt too, and so. You know, they, they were able to do some good things without their leading rusher and receiver. But, no, he at least showed something that year. I agree. The Saints win their first ever playoff game in 2000 against the Rams with Ricky on the sideline. They turned to Terry Allen and Gerald Moore and Chad Martin, and they had a, a bunch of guys handling the ball. Not exactly a murderous row of running backs. So that gets us through the 2000 season. Ricky breaks his ankle, and then he starts talking about playing baseball full-time, reports 
come out that he is considering baseball. Okay. What do you remember about maybe Ricky going to play baseball? Or did you think it was a realistic possibility that he may do that? I I didn't. I don't remember thinking that he would do that at the time. But again, this is this. It was hard to judge to know what Ricky was going to do because it's kind of like you know right now trying to figure out what Aaron Rodgers is going to do because he's just so unique personality wise and and Ricky is way more unique even For personality sure. wise than Rodgers so it's like they're so eccentric you didn't really think I don't remember thinking that he was going to do it but I thought it was possible because I don't think Ricky was one of those guys that you could tell he didn't love what he was doing. So if he just flat out retired, it would totally and never played football again. It wouldn't have been shocking. Right. So before the 2001 draft, there's four key things that we want to consider as to why the Saints went in the direction they did in 2001. The first one being Hazlitt, the new head coach. The relationship between him and Ricky is rocky at best. The Saints won their first ever playoff game without Ricky, and so fans in New Orleans are behind Hazlitt at this point. Second one is Ricky's coming off a major injury that sidelined him for the last half of that season. Would he return healthy? Nobody knew. Is he gonna? Is it gonna be a lingering injury? Those things were all in the back of our heads. The third one is Ricky is saying disparaging things about the city of New Orleans in the media. He's he's not doesn't have doesn't have a good relationship with the media. At, at that point, saying he wishes the team would move, wanting the team to move to San Antonio so he could be closer to Austin. That's not going over well with Saints fans. And he wants to go play baseball, a very real possibility at the time. Had he grown tired of the NFL? Nobody really knew. So all those things were kind of happening. Was it only a matter of time before the Saints were left without a running back again? That's kind of what, what we were thinking. So taking all those things into consideration kind of makes more sense as to why they did what they did in 2001. And yet you just felt like, I just remember thinking like, we're just spinning our wheels. It's like we just gave up all these draft picks yeah. for this running back. And I, I go back to what I said earlier. How could they not know how unique he was, how sensitive he was, how just, you know, he was the opposite of a gym rat. You know, we talk about the gym rat type athletes who will do anything to win and do anything to succeed. And all of life was about that sport. Right. And he was just not that. And and how did they make that mistake? I, I, I just, I, I just don't get it. And again, most of this was a surprise. Like, it goes back to they need to give some sort of award to the, whoever the SID was at covering, you know, doing Texas. football in Texas. Because, like, how did they hide all of this from everyone? Right. It's incredible. Deuce, on the other hand, looked like a running back body-wise that I liked. Like, more of, you know, more of an Eric Dickerson type, tall, slender, athletic you know, Ricky was more like a rectangle, and obviously he had incredible athleticism, or you wouldn't be playing baseball, wouldn't even be an option. And yeah. obviously later on in Miami, we saw how talented he was as an NFL running back. But I, re I preferred the body type of Deuce, no question. But I felt like, man, we're just spinning our wheels, and how is this going to work out? I think what De what John DeShazer said has a lot of truth to it when he called Ricky a child. I, I don't. I don't. Might have been a little bit disrespectful to Ricky, but I think he was a child. I think he. Yes. He was very immature, very childlike, and when he was in college, he had people to help him along, and so he enjoyed his college time more. Once he got to the NFL, now he's an adult. Now he's a professional. Nobody's really there to quote unquote coddle him. And so I think that's why he struggled so much with, with coming to terms with that and, and why there may be such a drastic difference between how he was at Texas and how he was now. 
maybe they didn't even see the things that we saw once he got to New but Orleans. But they had to do a psychological evaluation. They were about to trade their whole drive for him. Yeah, but this is Ditka. I, I, I just I, I think if we had maybe what a— What about the GMs? I mean, uh, Q. Herrick is a weird-looking dude anyway, but, I mean, like, he grew up in the—his dad was in the NFL. Yeah. I mean, he grew up around the NFL. I mean, he looked like one of these, you know, what— he looks like one of these guys that everyone hates in baseball now, the Harvard or the Yale right. guy who's trying to look at the analytics yeah. instead of old-school baseball. That's what he looked like, and yet his dad— was in the NFL for years. I mean, he grew up in an NFL family, right. so it didn't, it's not like he didn't know the game. He didn't understand football. I still don't understand how they botched that. That bad. How were they not more prepared for what Ricky was if they were going to put that much, give up that much to get him? I, I still make, even a Neanderthal like Ditka, right. someone around him should have done a better job with that. That's what I was going to say. You call him a Neanderthal. I think he was. He just... He just flew, fly by the seat of his pants and do things like this. It, just, it didn't make any sense at all. Biggest moron ever. <laughs> Mike Dick.